0: guys, what I'd like you to do is I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. In your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, we're going to focus on the last part now of Romans chapter 12. And this is actually, Paul's instructions here are a continuation of what we talked about last week. We, We talked about, if you remember, we understand the reality of our salvation. We understand that Without Christ, the whole world is headed to hell, and he goes through various groups of people to help you to understand that everybody is going there for those who are without Christ or doomed. But by faith, we have been justified. We've been accepted by the Lord. His Spirit is within us. We are to be his people now. And so when we come to chapter 12, he he tells you, I beseech you, therefore, brother, by the mercies that you present yourselves to God. We're, we're to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. That is, daily give ourselves to God and say, God, I'm here. Here I am. I'm yours. Now, when you do that, you have to, what does he tell you? Don't be transformed, excuse me, don't be conformed by the world, by doing it the way everybody else is do it, but be transformed by what? The renewal of your mind. Let God change you from the inside out. So then what follows after that is some instructions because he's wanting you to be transformed. He wants you to change the way you approach things. So at first he talked about spiritual gifts and about using your gifts for the benefit of others in the church. He then talked about how we are to be with each other and the first thing was love each other, right? We looked at that last week. Well, now he's going to move it one step further. And when you realize what he's doing, I can understand. So he starts out first with how we're supposed to be with each other, because I think we could tolerate each other, right? I hope we can. But then the next group is everybody outside of the church. And just to sweeten the pot, maybe that's not the right word, sweetened. Maybe just to expand your thinking a little bit, he wants you to think about how you're supposed to be towards your enemies. Because there's a way that God wants us to approach Him. Now the world, let's be honest, if you're listening to the news these days, especially no matter where you're landing in life today, whatever part of the political spectrum you're on, the world wants to tell you, destroy your enemies. Because they're got to destroy you and and so forth. And and the reality is, Paul's telling us we're called to something else. So we're going to see that. Now, here, I'm going to prepare you. I've actually been dreading this, because next we get into chapter 13, because the progression continues. So we start with people around us tolerating each other, loving each other, how you're supposed to be to the people outside of the church and even your enemies. Here's the next one. You ready for it? The government. (laughs) Yeah, but it ain't what you think it is. Because he doesn't want you to be conformed with the way the world talks about dealing with it. He wants you to be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind and see it how God wants you to see it. But today we're going to focus on real faith. What does that real faith look like towards unbelievers around us and then ultimately towards our enemies? So let's look together. If you're reading with me in the Bible, we're going to look at verses 14 through 21. Here's what he says. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. All right, folks, let's break this up. We're going to talk, first of all, about you dealing with unbelievers, okay? And the very first thing he points out is, is the issue of persecution. The fact of the matter is, can can I be honest with you? We need to grasp the reality. You live in a world that does not follow Jesus. Did you understand that? I don't care how much you want to say this is a Christian nation. It never has been. The fact of the matter is most people are going to hell. Reality. And with that, while at times your beliefs are accepted, they're never truly accepted. Do you think about that? There are times when your beliefs might be accepted, but they're never truly accepted. But the fact of the matter is, is you're going to suffer at the hands of unbelievers who don't believe what you believe. So therefore, here's what he's saying. First thing, right off the bat, with you and I, when it comes to the reality of living in this world, here's what he says, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Here's what I want you to see. You are called to bless those who attack and don't re- attack you and don't retaliate. You're called to bless them. Really? I mean, think about it for a moment. I think all of us, at some point in our life, have somebody that we might say is our enemy. Some of us, at some point, have somebody who doesn't like us, who's out to get us, or who's contrary to us. They're at different levels, okay? Okay? There are different levels. There's just the guy that maybe you're in school with who just doesn't like you and he's doing everything contrary to you. That's an enemy. Then there are enemies like on a world stage, like nations who are against you and so forth. There's different levels. But the fact is, you and I face people who don't like us, especially if you're a believer. And they will attack you. Have you not been attacked? Doesn't feel good, does it? Now, what's your reaction to being attacked? if you're a human being your natural reaction is to what? defend yourself. Not just defend yourself but pay them back. Retaliate against them. Now he's coming along and he's telling you the very thing that Jesus was telling you and that is you are to bless them. You're asking he's asking you to ask God's blessing on their lives. That sounds weird. Well, it is if you're being conformed to the image of this world, right? But if you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind, it isn't weird because you are called to bless them. Now, can I tell you how you bless them? A couple of ways. One's very simple. You don't say to them, well, bless your heart. That's like a Southern thing to do, right? Okay bless your heart. No, no, we're not talking that. You say, God bless them, which leads to the second thing. You pray for them. Do you pray for your enemies? Do you pray for the people who take a position different than you? Do you pray for the people who hold to a different value and want to impose their thinking on you? Do you pray for them? I I would say the chances are we don't. We pray for people like us, we pray for, mostly we pray for ourselves, but if we're going to pray for somebody else, it's for people who, who maybe root for the same team that we do or, or vote the same way. But we would never think of. A, do you bless the Russians? Do you pray for the Chinese? Do you see what I'm saying? This is what you're called to do, this is real faith. Because real faith comes out of the reality that you have a bigger picture. Now, what's the bigger picture? He filled it in for you in the first 11 chapters. He filled it in for you by telling you that all of the world is going where, folks? Hell. But you have been saved through faith. And you're headed in a completely different direction. And they don't know any better because they're not saved. When you get saved, your life transforms, your mind transforms. You see things differently, but unbelievers don't. So you bless them. It's hard. And there's nothing wrong with when you're praying, saying, God, I don't really want to bless them, but you told me to do this. So can you help me? Help me to bless them? because I'm hurting. And you know what? God's not going to say, oh, you silly one. Why, 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 why can't you do this? No, no. He understands. He'll help you. Why do you think he gave the Spirit to you? But to help you, right? Here's the second thing I want you to see. I want you to notice with me. Verse 15. This goes one step further, okay? One step further. More than just bless people, It's it's wanting you to do something more. Look at what he says, verse 15. He says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. He's talking about empathy here. What he wants you to do is this. You have to empathize with what people are going through. You have to empathize with them. Whether they know Jesus or not. You really need to weep with them when they weep. You need to have joy with them when they have joy. Or again, are we so cloistered in our our Christian thinking and communities that we only weep with those who weep among us or have joy? But when it comes to people outside of the family of God, it really doesn't matter. So I'll I'll be honest with you. I, I listen to a lot of news. I've told you that before. So I listen to the BBC Global News podcast. I listen to it because I like to keep abreast of what's going on around the world. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, it's been hard for me the last two weeks listening. Because the reports have been, first it was the report of the earthquakes in Morocco. And then now in Libya, this dam breaking with this hurricane that hit them. And literally thousands of people, and, and listening to people who they're interviewing, who have lost whole families, 150 family members in their clan are gone. There's no one left, just them. I, I was driving to the Y in the morning and, and my heart was just breaking. It was just breaking for them. That's empathy. Do, do, do you understand? I could say, oh, you know, well, those are just Muslims. Those are just people in North Africa. So I'll never see them. They don't believe what I believe. I could act that callous and cold and hearted, but I'm not. I'm listening and I'm thinking, what would life be like if the Kerwinsville Dam broke and a town got flooded and people got killed, how would I react? But in their instance, a whole city gets wiped out and tens of thousands are dead. He tells us to empathize with what people are going through. If I'm going to relate to people outside of the Christian community, if I'm going to express real faith, I need to rejoice with those who are rejoicing, Right? And weep with those who are weeping. See, that's what sets us apart. What sets you and I apart from the rest of the world is because we have who? Christ. And we are filled with his love. And isn't that what he said? By this shall they know that you are my disciples? By your what? Love for one another? How am I going to love someone if I don't empathize with them? So the second thing he tells us if your faith is real is what? If you're going to act towards others, rejoice when they rejoice, weep when they weep. Here's the third thing. I want you to notice with verse 16 now. He says this. This one's hard. <laughs> this one's hard. Listen to this. Live in harmony with one another. What does that mean? Live in harmony. Now, we we understand harmony. Like, if you're listening to groups and, and you're like, man, they have great harmony. That means their voices blend together and they work well together, right? We understand harmony in that sense. Or we understand being in sync, like in sync with something. You know what I'm saying? So like I have several different devices and I keep them in sync. So what happens on my phone is in sync with what's happening on my computer. Do you know what I'm saying? So they're in harmony. Hopefully, unless there's a glitch or something and I didn't update something. They're, they're in harmony with each other. He's telling us that we're to live in harmony with other people around us. And you say, well, wait a minute. Now, hold on a second, George. They don't believe what I believe. How can I live in harmony with them? They don't vote the way I vote. How can I live in harmony with them? Really? Are you being serious? You can't live in harmony with them? Tell me something. The people that you work with, do they all root for the Steelers? Do they? No, there might be somebody that roots for somebody else. Well, yeah, but you mean you can't live in harmony with him because he doesn't vote, he doesn't like your team? Do you see what I'm saying? You can't be civil with somebody else who has a different viewpoint, especially when it comes to sports. Because we all know that's the most important thing, right? Sports? No, it isn't. But I mean, we think that sometimes. He's telling us to live in harmony with others. We're not, living in harmony isn't that you have the same beliefs and the same values. It's that you work together and live together in harmony. Like just with music. You understand music? You have bass, you have tenors. Do they all sing alike? No. But they work together to produce A livable place, right? He's calling us. Now, according to the world, you can only hang out with people just like you, right? Just hang out with people just like you. That's according to the world. But we're not trying to live according to the world, right? We're trying to live according to what God's Word tells us. And that is we have to live in harmony. Now it's interesting, he goes a little bit further than just living in harmony as we get a little bit further in the passage. So let's go on. Here's the final thing I want you to see towards unbelievers. Verse 14, he says this. Second part, excuse me, verse 16. Do not be haughty. Now you understand what haughty is? How about if I use a better word? Do not be prideful. Now do we know what that is? Surely, none of us here struggle with pride, right? Right? We all do. Yeah, yeah. And and here's what he says. But what? None of us be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Here's what he's saying here, all right? You have to choose to deal with others in humility. That's just reality, you have to choose to deal with others in humility. You have to choose. Don't be arrogant with people. You may know more than they do about a subject, but you don't need to tell them that. Now, why do we do that? We, well, if we in the world, we want everybody to know how much we know. We want people to know that we know more than they do. Why? Because it's all part of, are you ready, the posturing, the posing, the putting people down so that we lift ourselves up. That's not biblical. That's not Christianity. That's not faith. Faith isn't haughty. Real faith deals with people in humility. So you just have to be humble. You have to be humble. I'm, I'm reminded of a story, okay? So, you know, here I am. I I'm I'm trained into scripture, and I'm at a men's breakfast in Canada. This is, man, this is more than, I've been here 22 years, so this is probably 25 years ago. I'm in a men's breakfast on a military base in Canada, and at an air base there, and uh, we're having breakfast, and a guy across from me is a corporal in the Canadian Forces, and he's a French guy, and he's uh, talking, and he's, uh, he's sitting there telling me, he says, you know, I think everything's going to be like Star Trek. Okay, well, what does that mean? He said, you know, we're all going to get better, and we're going to live in harmony with each other, and we're not going to have money anymore, we're just, it's going to be like Star Trek. What do you think, George? So I could have been the big Bible guy and broke out my Bible and told him and so forth and be arrogant about it. Actually, I chose to be a little bit more humble and I said, no, I disagree with you. I actually think uh, we're all headed in the wrong place. Why? I said, well, I'm German. Do you understand the history of the Germans? You're a French guy and can I tell you about the history of the Germans? At the turn of the 19th century into the 20th century, Germany was at the height of intellectualism, culturally. They were at the height of higher criticism and all types of things. Intellectually, they were at the epitome of where they were. Now, did you see what happened to them and all of their knowledge and all of their intellectualism? Did they go Star Trek way? No, they went the way of concentration camps and the murder of Jews and the starting of two world wars. So I said, I don't believe humanity gets better. I believe it turns bad. Now I had another guy who was a deacon of my church, he was another French guy and he said, I talked to him and he said, wow, I expected him to give me the bible. You don't have to. You don't have to be prideful. You have to be humble. And deal with people humbly. I gave that guy something to think about, didn't it? Because by the way, I like Star Trek. It's not perfect there either. Why do we have wars all the time in Star Trek? Those are the best episodes, right? Yeah? When they're fighting the Romulans and the Klingons, you know. So the reality is choose to deal with others in humility. You say, okay, that's good, George, but what about my enemies? (coughs) Because I have them. And trust me, if you don't have them, you will. What about my enemies? What does he tell me to do there? This is not just the point he makes in this passage, folks. It's the point that he makes throughout Scripture, especially the New Testament. Jesus made this point. I want you to look with me. Here's what we're going to look at. I want you to look with me, first of all, verse 17. Here's what he says. Verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. First thing he's going to tell you when you talk about dealing with people outside of the church, even in another subset from just unbelievers, but when you're talking about people who are your enemies, how do you respond to them? I know that right now in our culture, it's on the news and you hear it all the time that people are talking about taking vengeance and having, wrecking havoc on those who have done something to us. We need to do it back to them. That's fine. That's what the world thinks. You want to know what the Bible thinks? The Bible thinks don't repay evil for evil. Here's what it says. This passage right here, and I'll explain to you what it says. You should not seek vengeance as you do what is right before others. He says two things here I think is very interesting. If you look at what the passage says, look at verse 17. He says repay, so I'm paying back. Okay, repay is I'm paying you back because you've done something wrong to me. Don't we pay evil for evil, all right? But here's what it says. But give thought to what is honorable. So you give thought to doing what's right. Now, who do I do that before? Well, it tells you. In the sight of all. He's saying you do what's right as a testimony to what is honorable, what is the right thing to do as a believer and as a follower of God, in the sight of who? Everybody else. Why? He's wanting to draw a, con- a, con- a contrast. Sorry, I got stumbled there on a word. Contrast. A contrast between what? Between a follower of Jesus and the rest of the world. Do you realize the rest of the world is caught in an endless cycle of vengeance? You really want to understand what's going on in the Middle East? It's just one word, vengeance. It's memories that are long and hard that go back centuries, centuries, thousands of years, millennia of one vengeance after another. And you take vengeance on me, then I'll take vengeance on you. And then now, of course, the cycle repeats itself. He's telling us to be different. And to do what's honorable in the sight of all people. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't take vengeance. He goes on. Here's the second thing he says here. Look with me at verse 18. This is interesting. Verse 18. He says this. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He's wanting you to do what? Here, look, when it's possible, you're called to live at peace with others. This is what we should be known for, right? Living at peace with other people, even if they don't agree with you. Do you know what I mean? Live at peace with them, even if they don't want to. Why? Because that's what Jesus... Now do you understand when Jesus comes along in the the Sermon on the Mount and he says, when they slap you, turn the other cheek and let them slap the other? That isn't just weird. That explains what Jesus is saying. Live differently. Don't do it the way the world wants you to do it. You want to live at peace with one another. So often through the New Testament, especially through Paul's letters, he's talking about, first of all, remember, they're a church who is being oppressed by the government, who's being oppressed by society, and he, what does he keep talking about? Pray that we can live at what? Peace with each other. Not talking about just in the church, but at peace in the world that we live in. Quietly living out our faith, Preaching to others so that they can come to faith, but living at peace. So that means you've got to be different. You've got to be different. It's interesting. I have a little book in my office. It's written by a Christian historian. He talks about what really transformed the world, the quote Roman world, into a Christian world. We used to say that it was the blood of the martyrs, and there's some truth to that. But do you really want to know what changed the Roman Empire? Do you really want to know what changed the Roman Empire? It was the church living at peace with others and the church doing things like this. Hospitals. You know the Christians were the first to start hospitals, right? You know that, right? You want to know the history a little bit further? In the Roman Empire, if somebody died in your house, you threw their body in the street Christians, because they believed in the resurrection, would come and bury them. They would bury the dead. They just didn't throw them out. Talk about a dehumanizing world that the Roman Empire was. If you had a child that you didn't want, let's say because... Having a boy is a big thing. That still is in some cultures today. If you had a girl and you didn't want it, you would just leave that baby out to be exposed and for the animals to take or somebody else to take. What Christians would do is they would come along and they would take those children and raise those children. What changed the empire is that after the last persecution, the last emperor to launch a persecution to wipe out the church, the rest of the Roman people woke up and said, look at who we're killing. These are people who do good. They're not people who do evil. And that transformed their thinking so that when Constantine came around, he made Christianity the, the religion of the empire. Do you understand? It's because we're called to live differently and to live at peace. Here's, here's the next thing. Look at the third thing here. It says verse 19, look at what he says. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. I mean, whoa, can, can you get any better than that? I mean, can, th- is that hard to... Uh, never avenge yourselves. Like, can you hold back a possibility of getting back at somebody? No, no. Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. Give your right to vengeance to the Lord because he's the ultimate judge. Here's what I want you to understand. Every one of you was born with a right. Yes, I know that. We talk about these rights all the time. We make up rights. No, no, but there's a certain right that everybody was born with no matter where you live. Whether in the U.S. or around the world, you were born with a right. It was a right to vengeance. It's expressed in the Old Testament law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, right? Everybody was born with this right. Everybody and, and we exercise that right, right? We exercise that right at different levels. So like if I'm in a tiff or taff with Lori you know I exercise my right sometimes and she does with me a vengeance you know what I'm saying, getting back at each other, you know. We do that, right, at different levels. You do that with your friends. Well, I'll get back at him. And we laugh about it. Ha, ha, ha. We do that on a bigger scale, which is even more brutal sometimes. But the fact is, is we have this right that we think we can exercise vengeance all the time. We were born with it. Yeah, but he's telling you, give up that right. Right. Give up the right that you think you have to have vengeance on anyone. Why? And leave it to who? Which, by the way, you should know you should leave it to, right? God, why? Because he's the ultimate judge, right? He's the one who's going to set everything, but he's not setting it right as soon as I want him to. Really? And you're going to make it better? Really? Are you going to make it better? Remember I told you the cycle of vengeance just continues on. He's saying, give up your right of vengeance to the Lord because he's the ultimate judge. He says, vengeance is mine. There's no squirming out of it when it's the Lord is the judge, right? So finally, here's what he says. The last thing I want you to see. Just to wrap it up, here's what it is. Verse 20 and 21. Very interesting passage. Here's what he says. To the contrary... So again, contrary, contrary to what? The way the world does things, okay? Do the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Well, that's what I want to do. I'll, I want to do something that will put hot flames on their head. That's, it's figurative language, folks. You're not literally shoveling... Uh, charcoal bricks on their head, okay? Here's, it's figurative language, but listen to what he says. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here's what he's saying. It's an illustration. It's actually, there, there are some reports in ancient Egypt of people who were in shame would walk around with a pot of coals on their head and they would be expressing shame, sweating, and agony. Now, if I was carrying around a pot of hot coals, like we had a fire at Danny's place yesterday that was pretty big. There were some serious coals there. I don't have any hair to even cushion it anymore. It would be hot to have a pot on my head. you know what I'm saying? And sear that scalp of mine to make sure I would never have any hair again. But, you know, that, that would be terrible. And that's the point, is when you do that, when you do good, when you feed him when he's hungry, if you give him thirst, when you're doing good, you shame him. And that shame is ultimately expressed when? When you appear before the Lord. And he's got an answer for it. You know, it's interesting, if you look at the seven churches in Revelation, at the end, he gives to him who overcomes, I will do this. He gives seven promises. One of the promises that he gives to one of the churches is, is that your enemies will come and bow down to you and acknowledge you were the Lord's. Isn't that interesting? That's why you give it to God. That's why you do good, because ultimately, now they're not—they they don't recognize anything. Yeah, they won't recognize it now, but they will later. Quit living in the now, folks. Live as who you are, people of a future. And the one who sets things right. That's what he's calling us to. Okay, say, okay, where do we go with this, George? Okay, where do we go with this? All right, here's what I want you to see. When you got saved, you didn't just get fire insurance. What do you mean by that? Well, that's my way of saying you just didn't get a get out of hell free card. He didn't just save you for later on and you can do whatever you want to do now. He saved you so that His Spirit could live within you, and that you would then be different. Where? In this world, towards each other, towards unbelievers, even to people who hate you. Because by your actions with them, you are reflecting what? That you are a believer in Jesus Christ, and that the Spirit of God lives within you. That He's different from the way this world is going. So here you are, you want to you give yourself to the Lord. Great, do that. But listen, when you do that, you don't be conformed to the way the world does stuff. And the way the world does stuff, hey, even that changes, right? You live long enough, you realize stuff that we didn't think was okay is now okay, that which was okay isn't okay. I mean, it constantly is changing. But listen, what doesn't change is the Lord. What doesn't change is what he wants for you. And what he wants for you to do is to live peaceably in harmony with others and live in such a way that others see Jesus in you. And don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when you look at this, I'm going to tell you right now, it's hard. It's hard. This isn't easy. But here's the thing. God knows it's hard. But he also knows that the way you're going to change is that he changes you from the inside out as you allow his word to permeate your life and as the spirit gives you strength to do what he wants you to do. So let him do it. So let's go back to the song we sang first, right? We were called to what? Thrive. Thrive. Thrive as the people he wants you to be. And trust me, in 2023, Pennsylvania, you can still thrive. But it's your choice. Let me pray for you.